The following message was recorded at Spirit and Truth, the 2019 Clearnote Shepherds Conference, presented by Warhorn Media. This session is titled, Worship as Sinners, and was given by Dr. Ben Burlingham. Ben is a ruling elder at Clearnote Church in Bloomington, Indiana, and a professor of chemistry at Indiana University. Thank you so much. It's a real privilege to be here and to be able to be with you tonight, because I do want to encourage you as... as um, pastors, especially as pastors, but elders and all shepherds, it's very difficult to lead in worship, right? I mean, you, you think about this song, Lord, how long? You know, we're, we look out and we know that we have to lead a bunch of sinners in worship. Like Jody told us that uh, first evening, you can look out, you can see people's faces, you can see that there's something wrong, right? You know they can't enter into worship, and um, some of them, it's just that they don't want to. You know, some, they're here, but they have no intention. But for so many, it is, um, there's, there's something there. They want to, but just imagine, you have someone in your congregation, and they're singing this song, Lord, how long? Lord, how long? But there's, there's never any answer. Never any answer. And what happens? After a while, they just can't enter into worship. You know, they just avoid worship. I mean, they're here, but they avoid worship. And then you're leading sinners on the other side. They just have no understanding of that. It's like, what, do you, what kind of, they have no conscience of the problem at all. What do you mean? I mean, you know, Jesus died for us. We're forgiven. Just, man, just enter in. So you have those. And then you have a lot of people who are uh, a little bit, they, they haven't handled the tension, right? They, they, they're not avoiding worship. They're not uh, just all in. They, they ha- can't quite get the tension because they want to enter into worship, but they have a bad conscience. And they're trying their best to overcome that bad conscience and enter into worship, but they have a bad conscience, and it's back and forth and back and forth. And I know that. I'm all those things. You know that. Every one of us have been in every one of those places. And so how is it that we are going to lead in worship? As shepherds, how are you gonna lead all of those sinners into true worship? How, at the same time, do you comfort the afflicted, do you afflict the comforted, and you teach the ignorant? In other words, how do you as pastors and leaders cultivate faith, true faith, for, in your people for worship? That's a tough question, but there's a tougher one. And the tougher one is that if you're a good pastor, you know the sins of your people, so you understand where they're coming from, but if you're a good pastor, there's one person's sins you know the best. And that person has to lead everybody else into worship. So this question is not a question that only affects the people in your pews. This has important effects for us because they're depending on you to answer this because how are they going to enter into worship if you can't enter into worship? So tonight we ask, how do we worship as sinners? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that by your spirit you would allow us poor sinners to enter into worship tonight. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So tonight's scripture passage is found in Exodus 26. Uh, Might seem a little weird at first, but let me read. From Exodus 26, verse 31. 
You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, and it shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, their hooks also being of gold, on four sockets of silver. You shall hang up the veil under the clasps and shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil, and the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the holy of holies. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand opposite the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. Now we have a conference about worship, not because worship is peripheral, but because worship is central. Um, worship is the work of God in the world. You know, Jody told us last night how important it is that we uh, enter into worship now because it prepares us for heaven, but how much more true is it that we have to enter into worship now because it's the heart of God's work in the world right now. It's the heart of the gospel. You know, we get this message sometimes that um, you know, we have to be gospel central. And what, central, and what that means is uh, that you have certain certain theological truths that you have, and then everything else is kind of peripheral. But in reality, worship is not secondary. Worship is not a peripheral topic. It is the heart of the gospel. In fact, if I were to sum up the entire Bible in just a sentence, I would say that in the Bible, God tells us how he has made a way for sinful man to enter into his presence so that they can worship him. That's the point. Right? The point is that God has made a way so that sinful men can enter into his presence again and worship him. That's how it was from the beginning. That's how we were created. Right? Adam and Eve walking in the garden, seeing God face to face with worship. But in sin, when they sinned, Adam broke fellowship between himself and a holy God. And God responded in the only way that he could. He cast them out of the garden So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So with those cherubim, he made it very clear that there would be no approach by man. You will not approach me. There is no approach for a sinner into the presence of God. And yet, he didn't leave it that way. It wasn't God's will that that should be that way forever because he, in his will, he chose to make a way for us to enter, to enter into worship. And he showed this to his people Israel by making a covenant with them and pitching a house right in their midst. I want to live with you. I'm going to put my house right in the middle of your camp. But that house, as we just read, in the center of it had a partition. It had a veil. And what was woven into that veil? the cherubim woven into the veil to remind them, to remind the men there is no approach for you through the veil. That's the holy place. Now, of course, I'll make a way for the high priest to enter once a year, but he cannot stay. He cannot dwell with me. He can't dwell with me in worship. He can make an approach, but he must leave. And today, that is the central question that we have. It's a summary of our core problem. God commands us to worship him, but we're separated by a veil. So, 
well, what does that have to do with a worship conference, right? Why am I bringing all this up for a worship conference? Well, it's because public worship is a microcosm of the entire life of the Christian. Every Sunday morning, we have to answer the central question of our entire life. How will I approach God? How can I enter into the presence of a holy God? How will I cross the veil? The way your people think about this and on Sunday morning is the way they think about it in their entire lives. The way they do worship is the way they do worship, is the way they do their lives, the way they live their lives before God. So how do we cultivate faith, true faith, in people for worship? That question takes a larger significance when you understand that what you're cultivating for them in worship is actually what you're cultivating for them for their entire life. How they enter in at the moment on a Sunday morning, how they enter into worship of God is how they think about entering into their eternal rest and their eternal approach to God. It's a question that we must answer. Your people depend on you for it. Some of them are desperate for an answer. How can I worship as a sinner? Because you need to know because they're gonna follow your lead. So how will we cultivate faith? You need them, you need to teach them how to approach the veil. And tonight we're gonna go into the book of Hebrews to learn the one way that God has appointed for men to approach him. We're gonna talk about some of the other ways so that we can recognize the other ways that men attempt to approach God and it's not through the one appointed way and therefore it's not by faith and leads to destruction of souls. So we're gonna consider four particular truths that we see from the book of Hebrews concerning the veil. In the first one, we see that entering into worship is for our sanctification. Entering into worship is for our sanctification. Now, l- listen, listen through this with me. It's, it's a little complicated at first, but you'll, you'll understand that really there are two approaches, there are two competing understandings for how we enter into worship. There's a predominant one that you'll see in, the, in most evangelical churches, and it's more and more in Reformed churches, and fundamentally what it is is that there is a veil that exists between God and I, and what Jesus did in coming, he died so that he would tear that veil and remove it. So now I stand in the presence of God, free to worship. Okay, I mean that that sounds pretty good, right? Uh, you know, when when he died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn. So, in this view, really, what that means is his work has been accomplished for us. The veil is gone. By the grace of Christ, the work is done. The one thing left for you to do is to believe that that work is done and start worshiping, right? So the whole goal of worship is for you just to take hold of of what Christ has already done for you because he's done it all. And in doing it all, you just have to, if you just believe that, then you're going to be entering in. In fact, that's why you're never really gonna see a a topic, uh, a session in a conference, worship as sinners, because that's really, against the whole idea. I mean, the the way that you worship is that God has made you righteous. So now you're righteous and now you can access God and so now you're free to worship him face to face. Um, In his death, the the whole veil is gone. Sounds good, but not biblical. 
The book of Hebrews gives us a whole different picture. The whole point of the book is that a veil remains. And the author gives us a strong warning and encouragement so that we will strive to enter through the veil. So to summarize chapters four through six, it's an extended argument. You know, there is a promise to the people of God and that promise to the the, uh, ancient Israelites was that they would enter the land. They had the promise, but they failed to enter because of disobedience. So therefore, you should use them as an example. There remains a promised rest for the people of God, but the people who had the promise failed to enter through unbelief, but now we receive the promise to enter his rest, and we should learn from their example and not fall away. And he, he gives us even more uh, so that, we can, so that we won't fall away. So from Hebrews 6, 17, in the same way God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Christ has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So now you might, so, so he's saying, you know, we need to push in, we need to cross the veil. There's a veil that separates us and the rest that God is calling, to, calling us to. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but what he's doing is exhorting us to our eternal rest. This isn't about worship. This is exhorting us to our eternal rest. It's not about corporate worship, but I would say to that, wait, so this is about how we approach God in our whole life, but not about how we approach him in the moments of our life. Or how we enter into his presence eternally has nothing to do with how we enter into his presence in worship here and now. How we enter into our eternal Sabbath has nothing to do with how we enter into our weekly Sabbath. No, on the contrary, it's our theology of redemption that is expressed in our understanding and our practice of worship. Bad theology of redemption leads to bad theology and practice of worship, where a good theology of redemption produces true worship. So which is it? Has Christ removed the veil and now we live freely before him? He's done all the work? Or does a veil remain? Well, it depends on your theology of redemption. You know, in the prominent theology of redemption that has been corrupted by uh, a lack of distinction between God's work in redemption, justification, our redemption is our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. And we don't separate those from one another. But in the predominant theology, it seems that what has happened is that we've basically boiled it all down to justification, rolled it all up, and made it into justification. So here's what I do. By faith, I know that Christ died for me, so therefore all my sins are destroyed, and I can stand before him holy. Justification does the work of everything. It it does everything, right? Justification, sanctification, glorification, like that. It's all together. But that just isn't right. That is not what justification is. Justification is an amazing truth and the foundation of our worship. Without God's declaration of our righteousness, we have no ability to enter into his presence. But that's not the end of God's work in us. According to Hebrews 6, those who have taken refuge in him, 
still need to be diligent to take hold of the hope behind the veil and enter in. We're justified and therefore we will persevere, but it's also true that we are justified and therefore we must persevere. In Christ's death, he made a way for us to enter behind the veil. By grace, he's given us access, but that's not the end of the grace. You know, sometimes we talk about grace theology. I don't think it's really so much that we necessarily talk too much about grace. It's just that we simply talk about the grace of justification. That's all grace is, is the grace of justification. But that's not the end of the grace. He also gives us grace to actually enter through the veil. Worship is a means of grace by which we're sanctified. Justification gives us access to God's glory, but sanctification prepares us to enter his glory. Week after week, God calls us to enter through the veil to worship him. As J.C. Ryle would say, and if if you haven't read J.C. Ryle on justification, on sanctification, you have to read his book, Holiness. As J.C. Ryle would say, God is the judge who has declared that it is just that we should enter into his presence. But he is also the physician who heals us so that we can enter in. Our life is one of healing and one of the most potent medicines that God has and administers to us is that we would come to him in worship week after week. So we absolutely have to teach justification and we must teach that our worship here and now is on the basis of justification. We can't possibly enter in without God's declaration of our righteousness. But we also have to teach that worship is here and now for our sanctification. We have been given the right to our inheritance, but we don't have a hold of it yet. And right now is the time where we are grabbing, we're being prepared to grab hold. If you see worship as God's grace of sanctification, it changes everything about worship. We aren't justified by our worship and we aren't worshiping in glory yet, but right now we're being sanctified and what that means is that worship is hard. Worship is dangerous. You want to obey Jesus, right? Well, worship is the place where you get to obey his commands. Like this command, for instance, He says in Luke 13, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Worship is dangerous. You can miss the door. We can't be presumptuous that just anything we bring, however we bring, is gonna be pleasing to God. Entering worship is hard. This warning, though, can actually give us some comfort. Do you, do you just feel guilty sometimes? It's like, boy, I, I'm, I'm trying to worship. This is hard. It's, it should be easy. This is in the back of our minds. It should be easy. No, it shouldn't. What does the apostle Peter say? It is with difficulty that the righteous is saved. It is with difficulty that the righteous is saved. And how will you enter through the veil to worship him? through the hard work of worship. Do you believe that? Then don't teach your people that worship is easy. They have to strive to enter through the narrow gate. Teach your people that worship is for their sanctification. It's dangerous, it's hard. And then they'll understand the warnings of Hebrews. They have a promise to enter his rest, but they must be diligent so as not to fail to enter because of unbelief. 
You know, these aren't hypothetical warnings. These are real warnings for justified people. For justified people, if you're justified, this warning is for you, not for a hypothetical person. Having been justified now, be diligent. Trust the grace that's given now for, our, uh, for entry. Hebrews 6.11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. This warning makes sense if by how you worship, you tell people that they, uh, it doesn't make any sense at all if you tell them by how you worship that they've already entered into their rest, right? What kind of warning is that? If by how you worship, hey, you've been justified, now you're free, you've entered in, you're glorified. A warning like that doesn't make any sense if you've already entered into worship. On the Lord's day, our entire life is one of striving to enter into his rest, and on every Lord's day, we're at it again as sinners, called to enter his rest, to enter worship for our sanctification, to prepare us for eternal rest. Now, as a shepherd, of course, you have every temptation to remove that veil, right? The veil that remains. You have every temptation because who likes a partition? Nobody likes a partition. Nobody likes to see there's a line and there's one side and there's another side. Isn't it a lot easier to have the hope already? I mean, if there's a partition and I haven't got a hold of the hope yet, then that's going to involve some effort. That's something else has to happen. Can't we just make it a little easier? And what you teach is subtle. I mean, do you have, in your service, do you have a, a call to repentance? Do you have a prayer of repentance? If you don't have a prayer of repentance in your service, what are you saying? You're saying, we've already entered worship. We've already entered into the presence of God. There's no need to strive to enter through the narrow gate. If you teach them that there is no veil, that they can approach God without going through the veil, that they're already sealed in the heavenlies, it'll produce one of two deadly errors, either presumption or legalism, and actually both, right? They almost really always go hand in hand. On the one hand, presumption, right? Because there is no veil. Jesus has removed the veil, right? So in the Old Testament, we know that God was a real stickler back then, right? I mean, he was holy, and so he had a veil there so that all the unholy couldn't get there, but Jesus came to change all that, right? Jesus came, he just tore down the veil. Now, we're all good. We're all together. Turns out, maybe God wasn't quite so holy as we thought. You know, because if I've already entered into his presence, he's got to be just about as holy as me, that's kind of comforting, right? If you keep God low enough, when you break down the veil, if there's no veil, what happens is that you bring the profane and the sacred together. You bring the holy and the profane together and there's no difference. And really this comes from having no theology of glorification, right? No theology of glorification, let alone sanctification. I mean, we'll, we'll talk a lot about justification, but we will not talk about sanctification. We certainly won't talk about glorification because that would involve me understanding that God is a holy God. I can enter into worship anytime I want because God's okay with me just as I am. 
I'm holy enough for God. We presume upon God as if anything we bring for worship pleases him. I know I have sin, but God and I are good. Jesus took the penalty for my sins. I'm a new creation in Christ. I've taken refuge in Christ. I've been delivered, right? I've been delivered. But you already heard this once from Andrew today, this passage. I'm gonna read it again because the Lord has it for us, right? The Lord has it for us. What does God think about those who are the presumption of sinful men who think they've been delivered but still live in sin? Well, let's look at Jeremiah 7. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, or the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered. That you may do all these abominations? Has this house, which has been called, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. If we bring, if we break down the wall, if, if all that Jesus has done is to take away the veil, to bring together the profane and the holy, then he's made nothing holy. Now, if we don't fall into presumption, we fall into legalism. I mean, this seems to be a little takes sin and holiness a little bit more seriously um, because in this scenario, you know, the veil has been removed, but now there's kind of a holiness gradient between me and God. So, you know, God is really holy over there and I'm only sort of holy over here. And so what I need to do is approach him stepwise in holiness until I can get to where he is. And what we'll always do, of course, is to just try to uh, create uh, this uh, series of rules that are slightly difficult but attainable because it makes us feel better, um, but we can still do it. And that's the way that we set up to approach God. But God does not accept that worship either. Matthew 15 Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, 
he is not to honor his father or mother. And by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. We don't set up laws about hand washing, but they're every bit as eternal. It's external, right? They're just every bit as external. Well, you know, and usually they're not even that good. Well, okay, I'm okay this week because, man, I only looked at porn once. Well, you know, I'm, I'm better this week because, you know, I really, when I was yelling at my kids, it was a lot lower than it used to be, right? That's, those are the kind of bars that we set for ourselves. And we think that by that we will enter and worship a holy God. So what is the answer to presumption? Preach the law. That's the answer to presumption. Preach the law. There is a holy God. What is the answer to legalism? Preach the law. The problem with legalism isn't that it has too high of a view of the law, it's that it has too low of a view of the law. Those are really just flip sides of the same coin. You know, ultimately, they're this, all in the same thing. And that's what you see, what you see in yourself, right? That's what you see in your people is that most aren't this kind of extreme that I presented, but rather a waffling back and forth, a continuous back and forth and back and forth. It's essential for you to realize as a pastor that this is a fight that goes on every day in the hearts of your people. You know, a more realistic person, there are just some areas of my life that I just can't deal with. God's just gonna have to accept it. You know, I'm gonna come to worship, I can't do anything about it, God's just gonna have to accept that. Or, you know what, I'm trying real hard in these areas, God's just gonna have to accept that. You know, that's, that's all I have to give. When they see themselves as good and God slightly better, they approach presumptuously. But entering worship presumptuously can never clean the conscience because there's a nagging guilt. And when you see see God as good, but myself is just slightly worse, then you try to appease him with your works and your penance. And the cycle continues. And all the while, you never enter into worship. I bet you can relate. This is the natural tendency. What is the natural tendency? It's to deny the veil. That's why God put the cherubim there. God put the cherubim there so you can't ignore it. God will not be trifled with. There is a veil and it is impenetrable. Some people can keep going back and forth all their lives, but most just can't keep it up, right? The tension doesn't go away. The further you go on in your life, the more you hear about God, the more you understand his holiness, the more you understand your sin, the deeper the chasm, the further apart you are, the more the despair. And you know the truth. The truth is that there is a veil that we have to enter and there is a veil that I cannot enter through. There is a veil that allows neither presumption nor legalism. No matter how hard and how much you have to try, that veil is impenetrable. 
Hebrews 9. He describes this veil. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the table of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot speak, uh, cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing the divine worship, but into the second only the high priest enters once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. There, as long as that veil, that impenetrable veil stands, we know that there's no entrance because there is no sacrifice to make, a, there is nothing to make us clean. There's no way to clean our consciences. We can, maybe the high priest can enter once, but the high priest can't dwell there. Anyone who tries to enter by this veil finds it impossible, and the only option they have left is just not to enter into worship. If you want to try to enter by that, by that veil, do you see that in the eyes of your flock? Do you see that? After all my failure this week, how can I worship? I can't even stop fighting with my wife on the way to church. I spent all week yelling at my rebellious teenager. I have the stress of all the financial problems that are brought on by all my stupid sin and I got drunk again. I slept with my boyfriend this week. I can't enter in through that veil. I had an abortion 10 years ago. Sometimes I can hold that down, but I, I can't enter into worship today. There's an impenetrable veil there. You know, maybe more poignantly, do you feel it in yourself? You avoid lifting holy hands because you know you don't have holy hands. You sing with your mouth, but not with your heart because you know you're a hypocrite. And how can I possibly preach or give encouragement to the people in my church? I can't even stand the thought of taking communion, let alone administering the Lord's Supper. So how are you gonna approach God in worship? You owe it to your flock to answer this question. These three, these three things we've talked about, are you gonna, are you gonna approach pretending there's no veil there, entering with presumption? Are you gonna pretend there's no veil there, enter with legalism? Are you just gonna avoid entering altogether? You know, those three approaches might seem quite a bit different, but they have one thing in common. None of them require any faith. If you, want to desire, if you desire to approach God in worship, there is only one approach. There is only one approach. 
Hebrews 10, 19 tells us that Christ did actually destroy, he did actually destroy the veil. He has destroyed the veil, but he didn't replace it with nothing. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. To truly enter, you must enter through Jesus Christ, the veil. He died to remove the veil, the impenetrable veil that stands between us and God, but he didn't leave nothing in its place. He is very serious about holiness. He is serious about the holiness of God, and he remains a veil However, he has made a new and living way through the veil. Christ, our mediator, so that we can approach God through him. That is the only approach. It's the only way. In fact, that's the first requirement for public worship in our directory for public worship. The directory of public worship that um, Jody and others and uh, Andrew and others have been working on. This is the requirement. Public worship is Christian only when the worshipers consciously recognize that Christ is the mediator by whom alone they can come to God. You have to burn that into your mind and burn that into the minds of your flock. Let me read that again. Public worship is Christian only when the worshipers consciously recognize that Christ is the mediator by whom alone they can come come unto God. That's the narrow gate, and few find it. Jesus is a narrow gate, but those who enter by the gate will have their hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. It's narrow because only sinners can enter through that veil, right? Only sinners. Only sinners need a mediator. Only sinners can approach God through a mediator. If you're not a sinner, you don't need a mediator. Not so bad sinners can enter into God's presence directly anytime they want. I repented in the past. I've offered up penance. But to enter through this mediator requires a life of repentance, And the forgiveness that we find there puts an end to hypocrisy and cleanses the conscience. Entering through that narrow gate um, requires us to be a sinner, but entering through Christ also requires a living faith. We must approach the throne with confidence in what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. But this confidence is not only based on what Christ has done in the past for us, but what Christ will do as we draw near. This confidence is a confidence in what Christ is doing right now by the Holy Spirit. Every week, worship demands fresh faith. Not just faith that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to me, but also the faith that God has made a way for me, a sinner, to enter through the veil. That is a faith that produces hope and invites me to enter without presumption, without legalism, because it cleanses my conscience. It kills 
every confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in the flesh. I've entered through a mediator by a living faith. And entering through that gate is a narrow gate because it requires death. In his flesh, Christ ripped the veil in two to give us access. In his death, he entered as a forerunner for us behind the veil. By faith, and faith alone, we believe that he has made a way. But now in worship, we pick up our cross and follow. Romans 6, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We have one approach, and that approach is through Christ the mediator. Now, how will you have confidence to approach that mediator? We're called to have confidence, but how will you have confidence? You must preach the gospel to yourself always, and then obey it. It's not just preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel and then obey it. You must enter in because that is what he's called us to do. I know that you have every reason to avoid entering through Christ. Maybe you just want to pretend everything's fine. It's easier to pretend everything's fine. It's easier to pretend you don't actually need a mediator, especially when you have to live in front of all the people who judge you all the time anyway as your pastor, isn't it just easier to live that way? Or maybe all you have to do is look at yourself and, and you're just saying, hey, look, the whole thing's a sham and you've just given up. No, preach the gospel and obey it. Enter in. The only way you can do this is to approach as a sinner and enter in through a perfect mediator, Entering into worship is your sanctification. Of course you aren't worthy to enter it. Of course you're still weighed down by sin. That's the point. If that weren't true, you wouldn't need sanctified. But you also cannot enter presumptuously, continuing in sin, because you've entered through death in Christ. The question is, will you obey or not? Will you enter into worship? Will you take up your cross and follow him? Will you die to the world and live to God? That's every week in worship. Another day that I die to this world and live to God. Another Sabbath on the way to my final Sabbath. Number two, teach the hearts of your people to worship God and that they must enter as sinners. You know, confess your own sin to them so that they know that everyone needs a mediator. Everyone needs a mediator. But most of all, tell them who stands behind the veil. What's the encouragement that we have? Who is it that stands behind the veil? Jesus is an empathetic high priest. He has commanded us in diligence to enter into his rest, but he doesn't command something that he has no compassion for. He knows the difficulty. 
Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't draw near in worship because we're perfect. We draw near in worship because we need help and mercy. That is how a sinner approaches. That is how we worship as sinners. And finally, teach your people, teach yourself. Enter with confidence because that's where Jesus is and Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus said, all that the Father have given, gives me uh, will come to me and the one that comes to me I certainly will not cast out. I certainly will not cast out. Do you, do you have a friend behind the veil? You know, is that how you come to worship? knowing that I enter in to my friend. You know, a, a proud man does not have friends. Proud men don't have friends. It's the humble that have friends. Come to him as mediator. Find that he is the best friend that you'll ever have. Come with a humble heart because a humble heart God will not despise. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus. We thank you that we can come to you because of him, that he has broken down that impenetrable veil and that we can come through him as a mediator. We thank you, Lord. Please help us to die to ourselves that we might rise to you. Help us week after week to push through the difficult work of worship, the difficult work of leading worship, worship of sinners, because we have a hope We know we aren't in glory yet, but we look with hope to the glory, Father, and we look for our final rest. And we know, Lord, that we can only enter that final rest through a mediator, so tune our hearts now for that. We pray in Christ's name, amen. This has been a presentation of Warhorn Media. For more information, please visit warhornmedia.com and welcome to the Reformation.